Welcome to the next best podcast with your hosts, Chris Cashman. 24 years old, a former sheet metal worker, Mr. America, and twice Mr. Universe. And Chris Daniels. Time Magazine even named him Person of the Century. Now, from the CNC Podcast Factory, here's the next best podcast. Well, Chris, a busy and dramatic week, and so that's where I turn to you, the head of the Arena Intelligence Committee. (laughs) Boy, what a uh, dramatic, plot-thickening twist this week. We were once referring to this whole Sonics Arena saga as perhaps something that the likes of Jerry Bruckheimer, who is a part of the Oakview Group, that he might be be behind. Uh, Your article here from King5.com, hot off the press, and you are the press, Soto Arena Project not dead. Room for two arenas in Seattle. That's maybe a bit more like an M. Night Shyamalan thing, right? Just when you thought he was dead. Just when you thought he was dead, he comes back from the grave. Now this whole thing is starting to remind me of more like a Stranger Things. Like the upside down here. Because somebody has been hiding on the other side of this story. And every time you think he's dead, he surfaces. Yes, I, I... I have also called it a soap opera, as the basketball turns, yes. uh, with characters uh, leaving and coming back on the stage. And yeah, we saw it with Chris Hansen, the leader of the Soto Arena effort uh, over the last now six years, showing up in Seattle to testify at Seattle City Hall about Key Arena. Uh, and it, it was uh, something that really was not built up in advance. Uh, as some sort of spectacle, but this was going to be a long-planned or was a long-planned meeting at City Hall uh, as they review the tentative memorandum of understanding, the tentative deal uh, for the Oakview Group to rebuild uh, or build a new arena at Seattle Center. And and Hanson uh, and his team thought this was the right time for him to show up and talk about street vacations down in Soto. And for the many, many, many Let's be honest. All of you who don't pay attention to city council meetings don't go to the city council meetings. Chris, give the lay of the land. This is essentially an auditorium, a mini auditorium. The city council gets together. They talk about what they talk about. And then eventually they do open it up for public forum. And there's usually a familiar cast of characters, right, that that show up and actually have the time or the passion to step up to the microphone. Yes, I think the people who are listening to this uh, have been active (laughs) participants over the last several years uh, coming to these city council meetings. Uh, a lot of the same faces. Yeah, but this was the meeting to invite the public to testify, uh, the one meeting where that was scheduled. This was just, hey, the council members are going to come into a room, and anybody who wants to weigh on this can weigh in on this. And Chris Hansen was number one in line to testify. And a compelling time to do this because, by all accounts, all of the momentum, it seems like all but the ink was needing to dry on the fact that They've made it quite clear, the the former mayor and then some, uh, all the way down the food chain, that Seattle Center is probably what's going to happen. They've got all of their ducks in a row, and it's really just a formality. So for Chris Hansen to suddenly show up and to step up to the podium and to speak, it was very compelling. Yeah, and I, I think we have a small segment of what he had to say to seven of the nine council members who are in attendance. Here's Chris Hansen. Uh, we do not see how uh, more competition in this process is not better. Um, we are fine. Uh, as uh, uh, Council Member War has pointed out, the Seattle Center is your asset. It is up to you guys and, and the rest of the city to determine what to do with it. We are 
okay and uh, happy with whatever that outcome comes out to be. We think having a conditional street vacation proposal uh, in the chances that something does not work out, the arena isn't acceptable to either one of the leagues or there's some delay in its construction or the economics aren't right for an NBA owner, we do not see how having a conditional street vacation and that extra competition uh, from a Soto-ready arena, shovel-ready arena is not a good thing. Um, and then just lastly, I would just like to give you guys uh, and everybody in this room our assurance that we're in it to the end. We, we want to see an NBA team back here. That's our ultimate goal, and we'll stay committed to the process until that happens. So thank you for your time. So uh, the thing I would say about what, what Hanson had to say in front of the council members, again, uh, seven of the nine there, Shama Sawant, Bruce Harrell, the only absent council members. Harrell, by the way, a known Soto advocate. So. Yes, he, he's a big sports guy, and I think everybody uh, who, who knows uh, or follows City Hall knows he played football at the University of Washington, right. loves sports, etc. cetera. Uh, but I, I've been to enough city council meetings where you can tell when council members kind of tune out uh, or they are not paying attention or they're returning email. Right. The seven that were there stared intently at Hanson and listened to what he had to say. It almost felt like... This was his final argument uh, right. before the city council uh, based on how he delivered uh, his short presentation and statement and how they reacted to it. Uh, you can read into that what you will, but I have not seen that uh, before with anybody testifying on this particular right. subject. I found the whole thing terribly compelling and unmotivating. Uh, you know, I've never hid the fact that Soto makes so much sense to me. I, I find Chris Hansen to be a hero, uh, as you point out in your article, and as he pointed out there, it's been six years. Mm -hmm. uh, he was here long before any of this conversation started. He purchased the land. He owns it, as he points out. Uh, it's my land, uh, and as far as I know, nobody can force me to sell it. So we're going to go ahead and we're going we're gonna to stay there, and we're going to own that land and let this thing work itself out. In the meantime, I just want to remind you that I'm here, by the way, um, I love his passion uh, and unwavering commitment to seeing this through. And he's always cool, calm, collected, even though there have been shots across the bow coming from the Oakview group, group to him saying, what, don't, don't chase ghosts, things like that. He doesn't seem to want to retaliate. He kind of just always says, no, 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 no. He's, he's got his eye on the prize. He's very Russell Wilson-like, who just so <laughs> happens to be a part of his group, who says, I don't care what the score is. I don't care if we're down. I don't care if it's the two-minute two warning. I just so happen to be good in that scenario. And, and I just really like this ongoing effort where I think so many of us, anybody who, who roots for the Soto group, feels nervous that he's just going to go away, that at some point he's going to take his ball and his billions of dollars, and he's just going to leave and say, sorry, I tried, forget it, but well, he does not. Well, we want to keep people listening, so they're going to hear what he had to say to those questions uh, coming up, but I, I know that there was one other element. It, it really wasn't a big newsworthy event at City Hall right. in terms of these people coming to testify, but I know there was, uh, I, I looked at, at Twitter and social media, and, and it seemed like people lit up over one particular yeah. comment from a council member. We had numerous people stepping up, fans, people in jerseys saying, you know, their standpoint, what how they feel. I don't want this to be the last jersey I ever had, and there was one particular 
a young man who stepped up with his jersey and said as much and that, frankly, he's just heartbroken and I want to have a professional basketball team back in Seattle. Thank you. And then he walked away, right? Yes. And then there was a comment from the chair of the committee uh, that was holding the meeting, Deborah Juarez, council member. She she responded before she he walked back to his seat. And her response is what created a bit of a, a fire emoji on Twitter. Here is what she said. Thank you, Nicholas. And just so you know, we do have a professional team in Seattle. It's called Seattle Storm. <laughs> a couple, couple national championships. Just want to throw that out there. So obviously, uh, to some extent, factually, she was almost correct. I don't think it's a national championship, but that, that's a whole other <laughs> topic. But she is correct, of course, that we do have a professional basketball team, but it just didn't seem like a fair or, frankly, even an intelligent statement to make when that's not the conversation we're having right so now. So here's what I'll say about that comment is I, I've heard uh, Councilmember Juarez make it about five or six times right. now, so it, it wasn't new to me. She is a straight shooter. She believes in gender equity, uh, equity in the uh, community that is Seattle. Absolutely. And that is what she was referring to, and uh, she has been a, a supporter of the Seattle Storm and a supporter of Key Arena, that's that's her committee uh, at Seattle City Hall, uh, the Seattle Center Committee. So that that's what she was elaborating on there. And I, I, it was it was interesting to see the reaction on social media. People just thought it was completely out of line. Right. But uh, I think that uh, there there is not a meeting that goes by about this particular subject right. where she does not bring up the Seattle storm. And to be fair, look, you're you're a father. You've got a daughter. Yeah. I have two little girls waiting for me at home. Uh, you know, that's not what this conversation is about. Yeah. It, it's the same sport. It's two different teams, two different entities. It just seems like almost an unfair statement to make and uh, caused a bit of a, a bit of a kerfuffle on uh, online afterwards. Um, you actually sat down with Chris Hansen. Yes. And talked with him about all of this. Yeah, stuff. and we, we talked at, at great length about where his project stands, what he thinks about the Oakview proposal and and where he goes from here and I, I think what you heard and and you heard a little bit of it uh, in front of the council but what you heard was kind of a change in tone uh, about their goals going forward meaning the Soto group the Soto arena group uh, they they now have a, a new line uh, on what they hope to accomplish and win in its entirety your conversation with Chris Hansen nice open-ended question what are you doing in town <laughs> uh, I think we're here to tell our side of the story, like always, you know, we're here to uh, push for our street vacation. It's been uh, sitting, waiting for uh, transmission to the city council for seven or eight months now. And um, I think we did a, a really good job of listening to the council's concerns last time it got voted down. As you, as you know, we changed the uh, public financing. Um, component of it, and we added a lot of, um, you know, uh, transportation and logistics and other uh, things that the, the council seemed concerned about. And so we're here to just remind people uh, that we think we have the best arena plan, and uh, we would like to see uh, some progress on uh, getting to a vote. I know that originally, several months ago, the council had indicated they were hoping to get to a street vacation decision in July, August. Have you heard anything whatsoever from the city as far as when they may take that up? 
I mean, I think we've heard quite a few things from the city, but I mean, I, I don't think there's any clarity on exactly exactly when that's going to happen. And I think um, uh, with uh, the uh, change in uh, the mayor and uh, an impending new mayor coming in November 28th, I think that there's, you know, uh, like, yeah, that timing is not certain for sure. Have you had any conversations with two candidates for mayor about your proposal and how it stacks up? Um, I haven't directly, but uh, Wally Walker from our group has spent uh, uh, quite a bit of time with both of them and, and just, you know, uh, not only communicated, uh, you know, why we think Soto's a better location for uh, an arena, but also just, you know, uh, just selling the merits of our group and, and what it is we're really trying to accomplish here. And I think I think sometimes people forget that. I mean, our our mission here, again, is not to be the majority NBA owners per se. Our mission is to get an NBA team back here. And uh, we feel pretty strongly that having uh, uh, an arena in Soto gives us the best chance to do that. And we, uh, I think one of the things that's not well understood is that we're very open to uh, the city determining whatever is in the best interests of the Seattle Center and Key Arena. Um, and we don't think that these two are mutually exclusive. If the, if the city decides to move forward with the OVG plan, that's uh, that's their prerogative. It's their asset, you know. Uh, hopefully, they take in, you know, to uh, uh, consideration all the concerns of the various constituents around there and the traffic and parking. But at the end of the day, if they decide to do that, uh, I mean, it's it's their asset. They have the right to do that. But we don't think that that should exclude us from also being able to pursue an NBA arena in Soto. You think there can be a, two arenas in this city? I think if you looked at most markets the size of Seattle. Uh, there is definitely two and sometimes even more arenas. So everybody involved knows that there was a conversation between you and Ed Murray last year, and Ed Murray broached the idea of even looking into Key Arena and giving it one last go. Are you surprised now when you look back at that conversation that it's gone this far, that there's an actual tentative MOU to do something on Key Arena? I would just say at this point in the process, Chris, I'm not surprised by anything. I think the... uh, the ex-mayor um, uh, decided that he wanted it to be there and, and ran a, uh, uh, a fairly rushed process in which there was not a lot of consideration given to competing alternative uses for Key. And I, I mean, of it not being an NBA or NHL arena, the RFP did not even contemplate those. Um, and, you know, this thing has really been on a on a, on a fast track from the old mayor and, and his staff. And, um, I mean, that's okay again. It's the city's assets as they chose the way they chose to run the process. And, uh, you know, it's, it's not our place to tell, uh, you know, city council or, or mayors how, how and what's best for Seattle, particularly when it's their asset. But I, I do think we have the right and the obligation to Sonics fans to argue uh, that our solution is still the best one for the NBA and that what harm can come to Seattle from approving our our plans? Uh, Occidental's already being vacated to the south of us with the new Lander Street overpass. Our arena's completely privately financed, and it's not going to be built unless we have a team. Obviously, if we were able to attract a team, uh, by definition, uh, that would imply that either it was unattractive yeah. of the candidate of the NBA ownership group to go to uh, a revamped key arena, or there was actually some some issue with the development. I just don't think, you know, can't see how having more options to bring the NBA back to Seattle is not better. Do you think Ed Murray was ever behind your plan? 
Um, I'll leave that for others to speculate. Um, it, it sure doesn't feel like it, I would say, but uh, you know, it's it's not. You know, I, I can't really speak to exactly what the inclinations of, of indi individuals are unless they've told me as much. Do you think that the financial model could work, though, for two arenas in the NBA if, say, OVG has an NHL and music venue at Seattle Center? And I think it actually would work better. I mean, when you start, when you consider the purchase prices for NBA teams, um, and if you looked at Houston as the most recent comp, um, uh, there's a lot of single-tenant buildings. Uh, Warriors' uh, new arena in, uh, in San Francisco being a, a prime case in point, right? They haven't had any real trouble financing that. Uh, arena and they get to keep 100% of the income stream. So, if anything, that's been the trend. Uh, you know, a uh, uh, a venue with an NHL partner and a music partner who's a third-party operator and an NBA partner um, is in inherent to lead to some conflicts of how to divvy up the pie on things like naming rights, suite revenue, parking, suites. So you could you think you could run an arena with an NBA team as an anchor tenant, and then other In a market dates. like Seattle, absolutely. So, uh, have you had a chance to look at the the MOU from the Oakview Group? What do you think of the MOU? Um, I mean, I think that you know the first thing I would say is it obviously does include a fair amount of public financing. Um, it includes redirected parking revenues. It reduced it redirected taxes, not just admissions tax, but some other taxes as well. Some sponsorship uh, revenue that's redirected from other parts of the Seattle Center. Um, but our, our primary issues are not really with that per se. I, I think you understand our, our goal is to bring an NBA team back and we're more concerned about the duration of time it's going to take for this building to be built. Um, the, our belief that you will end up in both a compromised building in terms of the actual building itself, in terms of layout of seats, suites, uh, uh, parking, and then of course just the transportation and logistics. I mean, I think it's still amusing. I think if you, if you ask anybody in Seattle, uh, try to get to Key Arena for most parts of uh, uh, the Puget Sound area at, at 6.30 p.m. on a weeknight, I would just leave it to others to uh, uh, chime in on, on, on what that process is like. And, you know, we could talk about things like light rail coming in, I think it's 2032, or the future of autonomous driving vehicles. But, uh, you know, with just the current growth in Amazon and other employers here, that, you know, I, I think this issue is likely to get more difficult rather than less difficult in the next, you know, five to ten years. So when Tim Laiwicki says to stop so chasing ghosts and directs that at your group, do you have a reaction? I just don't respond to negativity like that. It's just not the way I'm built. Um, you know, I compliment Tim for being able to get their project to where it's it's gotten, and for him being able to uh, uh, seemingly line up a NHL partner in uh, in uh, uh, Bonnerman. Um, and you know, uh, yeah, I you know I don't have anything bad to say about their efforts. I think we have a better solution, and uh, you know. One thing is for sure, and I can promise everybody who's, who's listening to this, is that we own all of our land in Soto. We are not going to sell our land or do anything different until there is an NBA team here. Our job and our goal is to bring an NBA team back to Seattle. No one can make us sell our land, and no one can make us do anything different. And we're going to sit here as patient and as long as it takes 
in order to get an NBA franchise back to Seattle. The idea of subdividing Key Arena into different venues, have you had any response from the city on that? Um, well, I mean, there was a transition at the city right after, uh, you know, we laid that out there. I mean, this is something I think you probably remember, Chris, in the original MOU, uh, we dedicated around $7.5 million to uh, explore alternatives for Key. Um, we really wanted to start the dialogue, uh, and, and the mayor was not receptive to that. And he wasn't receptive to that in the RFP process, if you remember. It was only for an NBA and NHL-ready arena. So it wouldn't have been like if we would have submitted it a month and a half earlier or two months earlier, it would have, it would have been better uh, or more well-received. Um, we think that, I mean, I think when you step back and you look at it from a big picture, right, having a 17 to 21,000 uh, person arena that can host uh, live sports and large concerts, having a 7,000 person arena for mid-sized concerts and a 3,000 person amphitheater that flows out into the Seattle Center for all of its various events, uh, that seems like a better solution than, uh, you know, one smaller, slightly compromised arena or two large arenas, you know, in the Seattle market. That's our point of view, but, you know, I think, you know, it's, it's just always interesting when I talk to my friends or, you know, other sports fans who aren't from Seattle and I tell them, Hey, I'm trying to build a you know arena completely privately in an area that's zoned for an arena. I mean, they're almost like flabbergasted that like we've run into so much, uh, you know, uh, so many impediments. So the last thing I'll ask you is, you know, Sonics fans in particular, people on chat boards, people on sports talk radio, they say. The, the way this is going with the city and, and the way uh, they have a, a temporary MOU that this just means Soto is dead. The word Soto is dead. When when you hear that, what do you? How do you respond? I mean, people just say stuff, Chris. I mean, we are not going to sell our land. We are going to sit here. We own a contiguous parcel that has a, a you know a EIS project approved and all of the approvals in place from the design commission and building and planning and, and SDOT has, has uh, you know, uh, validated our plan and we've been back and forth for what, like five years on, on solving every possible problem. So uh, nothing dies. I mean, you know, and again, it's, this isn't a communist country. No one can force us to sell our land. And so we will sit here patiently. And if there's another time to argue our case, we'll argue it then if it's later this year early next year but I think uh, the commitment I would give to everyone in Seattle and particularly all NBA fans is we're going to sit here and be as patient as it takes we've sat in here for six been here for six years we've kept after it and you're not going to see anything different out of us uh, you know until there's an actual team getting off a plane here or a new expansion uh, franchise granted and uh, me and Wally and Pete and Eric and Russell are sitting courtside watching an NBA uh, tip off here. Chris, a lot of things jumped off uh, to me from that interview. I think he brings up a terribly relevant point there in regards to the finances of the fact that Oakview's group, as it sits now, and again, if you're not following all of this to the T, which we can completely understand because it's been 10 years and there's so many things to, to dive through, but he's essentially pointing out the fact that the Oakview group is saying, hey, we can, we'll have a music venue. We're going to have hockey and we'll have basketball. We'll work, we'll work out a partnership to, to share equity, equity share 
And Chris Hansen brings up the point of uh, right here from your article saying, hey, uh, that's I don't think that's really going to work. It's like that old saying about don't go into business with your friends because it right. can get ugly when it comes to money. He said he points out, uh, you know, that I, I think, frankly, we should have an NBA arena and have Seattle Center for the NHL and, and the music over there because he points out that the NBA Rockets, he says, let's just use them as a comp for you home buyers out there. They just sold for $2.2 billion. And he brings out, hey, how's that going to work if, if and when the NBA is a partner there? They're going to presumably be bringing in the lion's share of the money. And how is that going to work? And it made me wonder, yeah, what, 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 are, what are the finances? And I brought up a bunch of documents. Look at this. Look at all documents. 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 We've got documents. And just at face value, it is interesting because you can bring up the stats here, the uh, National Hockey League. Here's their totals. 2015-2016 season, of course, the NHL was a $4.1 billion. That's about how much money they brought in. NBA on the flip side, 2015-2016, all 30 teams combined for about $5.87 billion. Those numbers are a little bit skewed because, as we know from this other document, which we talked about on a previous podcast, that about you know a substantial portion of the league admitted they lost money. Yeah because of the salaries going yes. up. So that's a, that's a separate issue and a separate entity. But it did make me want to look up the values of these teams. You did research. And even in the <laughs> NHL, well, I, I, I think it's a very compelling point that he brings up yeah. and that, hey, this is going to be where most of the money is going to come in and you expect them to share? How is that going to work? It's going to lead to problems. So he is simply suggesting, hey, we should still focus on having the NBA over here, do the NHL, do music over there. Let's have them be separate. And frankly, you can do that research too. There's a, a lot of cities yeah. that have separate arenas. So it's it's silly for us to pretend as though this is an isolated incident. Uh, and in the NHL, the number one team is the Rangers, $1.2 billion. Uh, Canadians next, 1.18. Maple Leafs at 1.15. And then it goes down the line to the Blackhawks at 925. Uh, the Bruins, 750 million. And the Canucks, who would be Seattle's presumably our rival right mm -hmm. up the freeway, uh, $755 million. Uh, jumping to the NBA, number one, the Knicks, $3.3 billion, three times the value of the number one, uh, you know, hockey team. Uh, oh, by the way, the Knicks owned by Madison Square Garden Group. Yeah. So there's a little interesting plot twist there. Then you go right down the line, the Lakers, $3 billion, Golden State, two point six, the Bulls, two point five, the Celtics, two point two, uh, the Flint Tropics, <laughs> uh, owned by the great no, they're not on the list. Uh, the Los Angeles Bombers. Yeah. The Bombers at uh, $2 billion. So I only bring all that up because I wanted to see just how interesting his point was. And it's, it's right there. It's pretty substantial. I, I think a couple things at play. I think uh, he, he sees the writing on the wall with the city uh, and Key Arena right. and how tough of an argument it is to... Uh, try and tell city leaders to walk away from t uh, hundreds of millions of dollars for a public park. I mean, take the arena discussion out of it. You, you have a developer saying they want to spend hundreds of millions of dollars on a public park. Right. Awfully tough to counter that argument. So I think he sees that as well and, and uh, also believes that if – they, they move forward on the street vacation if that falls apart or he gets an NBA team, which is what it's always been about for him, uh, that there there is an opening. And uh, you start talking about the economics and, and the cities where this has happened with two arenas. Right. And it's not out of the realm of possibility. I mean, it's uh, in Minneapolis, a market similar to Seattle. You have a hockey team that plays in St. Paul. Think of this as Seattle-Tacoma. Right. 
plays in St. Paul, and the basketball team plays in downtown Minneapolis. And Phoenix, you have a basketball team that plays in downtown, uh, and you have a hockey team that plays uh, in the suburbs in Glendale. Uh, New York uh, obviously is uh, on an island of its own uh, with the the Rangers and the Islanders and the Knicks and the Nets, but that's another market where it's happened. It, It has happened in other cities. Uh, where there have been multiple arenas uh, down in South Florida. Same thing with uh, the Florida Panthers and Mm -hmm. the Miami Heat. I mean, you can go from market to market, and I think that's what he is. He's making the point that uh, NBA teams uh, and franchise valuations have shot up so much uh, since he started this process that for any franchise owner, if it's a team that's relocated or expansion – that it's going to be tough for them to make enough money back, return on the investment, uh, ROI, uh, in a in a venue that is shared uh, at Seattle Center. Right. It might work for an NHL team, especially one with an equity owner in, in uh, David Bonderman. Uh, but with an NBA team that would come in presumably as the third anchor tenant, that it would be tougher uh, to make the money back on that investment, that major investment with an NBA team. Right. And that it's an easier sell with a separate arena. It also, coincidentally... Maybe an easier sell with the Mariners and Seahawks and Sounders if there's only one team in arena uh, that is not going to have the same amount of concerts and events. Right. Uh, that may also be an easier sell as well. So I think uh, you know that's a long way of saying I, I think he sees an opening, and, and they're changing sure. their messaging. They're not going right. to get into a slugfest with – uh, Tim Lewicki, who has you know, asked them to stop chasing ghosts. You heard the question there right. to Hanson. He he totally sidestepped not it and said he's not going there. Right. Uh, so you know that that I think is also a change. I think it was heading down that road, this battle back and forth. But you got to love the kill him with kindness approach to say yeah. no. In fact, tip of the cap to what they've done over there. Good for them. It sounds like they've got NHL figured out and good for them. Uh, I think he's playing it just right. Well, it'll be interesting to see how the reaction is at City Hall. Right. Uh, Because I I thought, uh, you know, watching it in the room, he hit the right notes. He didn't sound defensive. He didn't go on the attack against the council. I think that's important to point out. I don't feel any sense of desperation. Amongst fans, there feels like a sense of desperation. But he's always so calm and collected and seems to have just the right things to say, just makes just the right points, and, and then just kind of puts it down on the table and says, I'll let you guys discuss. Well, and he, you know, he also wanted to stress, and it was clear because he said it more than once, that they aren't selling the land. Right. I, I, there, there are vultures swirling, so to speak. Yes, there uh, are for that land. There have been for the last five or six years. Uh, thinking if if this doesn't happen, what else could be built there? Uh, he doesn't sound like he wants to build a mixed use building uh, down here. Doesn't sound like he wants to sell the land. He said they're not going to sell it until the Sonics are back. Uh, however that may be. I mean, that's obviously, you know, if the the team goes to Key Arena, they're going to sell off the land and and maybe try and get some equity in the team. But uh, that that was interesting. He he really wanted to drill that point home because there has been a question raised by fans that they fear exactly what you were alluding to, that uh, the the Key Arena proposal uh, would be great for hockey and would be great for concerts and would put a lot of life into Seattle Center, but would make it tougher for an NBA team to come back because of the the issues that we've already outlined. Uh, and, and so the fact that he's saying, hey, we're not going to give up until an NBA team is here, uh, I, I think that was an interesting statement to make. He's clearly trying to uh, fire back at some of the discussion that we've seen on discussion boards and uh, on Sports Talk Radio. 
Once again, Chris Hansen proves that he is the last starfighter. Chris, where do you think this goes? What's next? Because there still remains the street vacation issue. I, it's I, the most irrelevant street in Seattle until all yeah. of this came up. Uh, that's going to be a good question. There's, uh, you know, there's another story uh, that uh, I'm working on uh, that should be online as this podcast comes online right. about. Uh, uh, whether Hansen has submitted the proper documentation to the Seattle Department of Transportation. Uh, they said one thing back in August. They're saying something different now. Uh, and, and I think that the, the Hansen group wants to get that stuff all figured out so they, they get it in front of the council. But the council uh, right now is fully focused on Key Arena. And I, I think they're going to maybe pick apart the MOU a little bit. But... December rolls around. If they approve this uh, in December, uh, they're going to be in prime position to attract the next NHL franchise, whether it's a relocated franchise or whether it's an expansion franchise in a couple of years. I think that's why you see the OVG timeline the way it is. They want to get this started. They want to get this done within a couple of years and have hockey at Seattle Center. That's you know not going to be the same thing for the NBA. The NBA is in a different uh, predicament and different uh, situation. But, you know, if Hansen gets his street vacation and Key Arena uh, gets signed off on, it could be really interesting uh, to see what happens with the NBA and the NHL and whether there's some competition between the leagues. And we're in the interesting business, so that works. I, I love the word interesting. When it's not interesting, it's not fun for anybody. I gotta say, I sure love the sound of two new arenas, and that's not just being greedy. I think of it more like... The great Gene Wilder put it in Willy Wonka. Don't forget what happened to the man who suddenly got everything he always wanted. What happened? He lived happily ever after. On Twitter and Instagram at Next Best Pod. This is the exclusive ending of the Next Best Podcast.